This episode of Harmonious Gentlemen is brought to you by Blind Man Brewing, makers of craft beer in central Alberta. Say hi to Hans. He just went to Japan. Well, if podcast episodes were the top end of the range of the diastolic or bottom number of your blood pressure, indicating stage two hypertension, you'd know this has to be episode 89 <laughs> of The Harmonious Gentleman. Yeah, I knew that was going to be tonight's. It's like yeah, it's danger so zone. obvious. Yeah. Say that one more time. So there's two numbers in your blood pressure. Like yeah. if you're 120 over 80, I think that's ideal. Mm-hmm. The bottom number is called your uh, diastolic number, and I think it's the measure of the pressure of the inside of your arteries when there's when the heart's not beating <laughs> okay and if that okay. is at 89 yeah you're at the 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 range of it being high blood pressure okay okay so it's still in the healthy range or it's just on the I edge think it's of unhealthy? Like the, yeah it's the number that divides healthy okay. from high pr- blood pressure yeah definitely when you become an adult those little machines at shoppers drug mart they yeah. mean something a lot different when do you, you use them like more regularly if i'm there i'll definitely give it a shot as a kid, I remember like wanting to know, and now I'm like, oh, I better figure, I better sit down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys feel comfortable about all like the medical stuff you have to do as you get older? And you're, Chris, you're in your 40s. We're yeah, getting yeah. There. I really avoid all of it. So. Okay. Yeah. Are there things you mean? So I feel to do? great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I keep, keep thinking like 50 is really when you got to start like yeah. getting checked. Yeah. All is the 40 bits your prostate? Pieces. Well, I it, 45, but then my yeah. doctor told me, well, oh, you're good. Wait till 50. Oh, really? Yeah. How did he know you're good? He just asked two questions. He's like, do you want me to do this? <laughs> that oh, wasn't okay. one and of you're them. Good for a little while. Should have been. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have pers- pushed it off till 55. Yeah. Okay. I was curious. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 fairly soon and I, I've heard I've heard 40 Yeah, is the time. So yeah. yeah. Might get the home kit. Ty, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I went to, uh, I did go to the hospital recently, mm-hmm. oh. but uh, the wait was too long. So For I yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell us more. Uh, I hurt my shoulder. Oh, not a good story. No hockey playoffs. Kind of hockey. Exciting. Yeah. Hockey yeah. story. And yeah. was it quite injured or you don't know? I didn't, you I didn't see the doctor. I, <laughs> I did go to physio later, but. Yeah. And you left because the lineup was too big. Yeah. 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 So I almost saw a real doctor. Hmm. Cool. For the first time in a while. Nice. Alberta. That's the closest All I got. It's right. the closest. You I check my heart rate on my uh, yeah. watch every once in a while. I do that quite regularly. Oh, we're healthy people. Do you change your behaviors as a result or you just go huh look at that take some deep breaths yeah get it down a little huh, bit resting heart rate of 96 <laughs> <laughs> interesting <laughs> 55 <laughs> um we have too many emails to read tonight we're just gonna leave them yeah, to the take side, a break we can wait till next yeah. episode sometimes it's like we just gotta take a little breath um uh so we're gonna be doing something different tonight chris yeah we each have a topic that we brought so i've been told well it's kind of like <laughs> you, tyler you talk you call it like a book report episode yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I'm an English teacher, so I make my students do book reports all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of assuming that you guys have read things yeah. at some point. And Since high school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you just share a little bit about what you read, what you learned. Awkwardly, Graham and I both picked bit. Lord of the Flies. Is that going to be a <laughs> <Yeah>. problem? <laughs> Perfect. I dug it out of the sword. I have an exam right here yeah. you guys can take. Yeah, probably. But so, yeah, I thought, yeah, just share something you read something you learned and then talk about it a little bit cool all right well if we're not doing any emails and yeah. we want to get to our stuff here i can't wait to share with you what i brought what i read i read a real thing chris like with words 
I hear you brought like a picture book. <laughs> it's a picture book. <laughs> we call them graphic novels when they're picture books for adults. Yeah. You guys have recommendations in addition to the. I was just going to ask read? the exact same thing. I Tyler. do. Mine actually ties in, but it's different. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm, bring, I'm bringing it tonight. But I might have already recommended it, but that's cool. I also have one of my favorite confessions in a while for later, too. Just wow. Oh, can't wait. Teaser. Yeah. But don't skip ahead if you're listening. No. No. It's not that good. It's worth... No. <laughs> <laughs> These recommendations are brought to you by Cilantro and Chive, serving up fresh, simple eats while supporting their community and spreading the love. Okay, my recommendation for this evening is... The weekend edition of the Globe and Mail newspaper. Hmm. My wife and I have had a subscription for a number of years now. You know there's like a tax credit you can get for subscribing? It's true. Really? Apparently. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's awesome. It's just the weekend, Saturday morning it comes. Friday night, like midnight actually. Sometimes I'll forget and I'll be up and I'll hear that thumping on the front door and I freak out. But it's really awesome. And um, I'm actually going to be sharing uh, an opinion piece as my topic later on from the paper. Um, but my favorite thing about the paper is the weekly uh, crossword mm. and also the twice a year giant page crossword, which is like double-sided wow. page, like 500 clues. It's almost worth getting it oh, just cool. for that. Kind of is actually. Yeah. 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 But it's awesome. I mean, like just the, the articles are really good in a world of just, I don't know, news sources being kind of tricky to, I don't know, sift through. Um, I just like, there's good stuff. It's solid. It seems relatively unbiased. Um, there are opinion pieces, of course, but it's great. Globe and Mail. I like it. Yeah. Do you like, are you recommending a physical, tangible newspaper or specifically the Globe and Mail if you're a newspaper person? Well, for a while we had a few different subscriptions. Yeah. New York Times as well. A couple other weekend ones. And it was our favorite one, Globe and Mail. So we only have one now. So I guess I'm recommending kind of both. Okay. But just having like a physical paper in the morning on a Saturday with your coffee. It's it's weird, but it feels like a throwback, you know? Yeah. And uh, nostalgia. This is like a humble, I'm not bragging like it's just the paper, but I don't know. It's. It's great. Well, as a former paper boy, I appreciate that. Nice. Awesome. I'm aspiring. Hmm. Chris, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. And okay. it's not a paper, but it is a, something you could watch on Netflix. Or actually, it's on Disney, I think. <laughs> Close. It's, <laughs> it's called Fire of Love. It's a documentary that was nominated for an Oscar in the documentary category, but it lost out to one about a person who lost out to Putin in the last election, I believe in Russia called Nadalia or something like that. But this Mm -hmm. is fire of love. It's about two volcanologists who are in love with each other and who die. We find this out in the first line of the movie doing what they loved, which is studying volcanoes. And the movie is just their footage of hundreds of hours of volcano footage and studying volcanoes over their lifetimes that somebody edited and put a documentary together about. And it's awesome. Sounds awesome. Yeah. What's it called again? Fire of Love. Fire of Love. Cool. Documentary on Netflix. Documentary on, sorry, Disney. On Disney. It's National Geographic, Mm. so wherever that is. I think Disney. Yeah. Top that, Tyler. All right. Top those. Oh, no problem. (laughs) Uh, This is a a game uh, that you play online. It's recommended. I should give credit where it's due to at least one-time listener, Darren. Mm. Uh, He showed me this game. It's called Samantle. One-time listener. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of like, how do you spell it? Like S E M A N T L E. So it's like semantics, but the word it's playing off of wordle. Okay. So wordle, which most people know, sure. You're trying to find the tar the, there's like a target word mm-hmm. you're trying to guess based on letters and spelling. Yeah. 
this is you're trying to find the target word based on meaning. So you start with a random guess of a word, and then you get a score of similarity in meaning to oh, the target that's word. Cool. Yeah, and it takes the difference from Wordle is this takes a lot more patience. Um, I think we were playing one the other day, yeah. Graham. It took us hundred like hundred fifty guesses. Oh wow! Like so it's, it's not a it's, it's not, not a that eight by eight grid or whatever. Right. It just the list keeps going and going because right. you might guess fifty words that aren't even anywhere close. Yeah, and so. But okay, like so it. help me understand this. Like, if I just threw out a word like orange, mm-hmm. it would give you a score. Um, I think usually it tells you before the puzzle what score would be like the next, the most similar word would have a score of like 59. So if you said orange and it said 1.2, it means you're not very you're close. You're way off. You're way off. So once you get to like, if it, like yeah. 20 would be pretty decent, 30, now you're getting, right? And then so, once you get within the thousand most similar words, then it tells you like you're 787 out of a thousand. Oh, wow. So until if, so if you, the a thousandth word is the actual target word. So yeah, Tyler you, showed me it, it is hard to picture until you do it. Yeah. And then when you play it, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's okay. It's cool. I'll intuitive. definitely try if you, if you like Wordle, yeah. it's worth a try. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more frustrating um, you really, and it, it really exposes like our, if you like a lack of vocabulary, Yeah, which I love know. how something like Wordle creates octurtle and quartle yeah. and semantle. Yeah. And yeah. This is a new one that I hadn't heard of until Darren showed it. And yeah. it's been fun. Neat. Cool. All right. Semantle. Fire of love, semantle.com and the globe and mail hmm. newspaper. Sounds, Pretty like, solid, a, sounds like a good Saturday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a really good episode so far. Yeah. <laughs> Semantle might take you more than a day. Yeah, right. No, just, <laughs> so a thousand paper. words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it might. All right. So we are going to choose the lucky person to open our first segment. And again, listeners, we have each brought a piece of uh, reading, that something we've read, and we're going to yeah. be sharing it, asking questions to the other gentlemen and discussing it. So three rapid fire segments. Who's going to start? Let's flip our three-sided coin and find out. Stay tuned. This harmonious conversation is brought to you by 5024 General Store, bringing skateboards, fashion, and creativity to Central Alberta communities. Check them out online or in beautiful downtown Lacombe. So I'm going to start this uh, this episode of mini segments and book reports and sharing. I read a book called Doing Good Better by William McCaskill. And it was recommended to me from by uh, my brother-in-law Bryce, and the subtitle might be a, a helpful start for for listeners and for you guys just to know what it's about. So it's called "Doing Good Better: How Effective Altruism Can Help You Help Others, Do Work That Matters, and Make Smarter Choices About Giving Back." Is good so okay. far. Making smarter choices about giving back. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know what altruism is? I mean, I totally do. I just, you should clarify for listeners, Okay, but I totally do. <laughs> well, I, I think my, my way of understanding altruism is uh, the a care or a, like, a, I use the word love. That might not be the dictionary, um, part of the dictionary definition, but for humankind. So for other, other people. So to be altruistic is to be. Um, for the sake of doing good. Right. It's out of concern for others. I don't I mean, know if that's the actual di- dictionary no, but definition. I don't know either, but I always thought that it was the the belief in or practice of uh, 
disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. Right. Um, so that rings true. You guys, are, you guys are not too far apart. We're circling it. Um, <laughs> so to, to summarize, it's a pretty big book. That I read I'm most. I'm impressed. Of. Yeah. And Readers, uh, Tyler is currently holding up a book that looks roughly 280 pages. <laughs> <laughs> but to Barely summarize it, it quickly, I think the best place to go is the the very back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you read this, read this book? <laughs> no. There's there's just a uh, a line here. Okay. So there's this there's a line here that I'll I'll just read to start. It says effective altruists operate by asking certain key questions which force them to think differently, overcome biases, and use evidence and careful reasoning rather than act on impulse. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's that's sort of the thesis, I would say, of this book, is that the best way to care for others is to take the caring out of it. <laughs> is kind of my... This is your paraphrase. My mm-hmm. paraphrase. Okay. That it's it's very rational, almost mathematical, scientific, how to be the best selfless. Like, don't person. let your emotions get caught up in this. Like, totally, like that's, you're that's your, almost a direct. Here's point. how you can practically be altruistic. Right, right. Maximizing your dollar. Yeah, totally. Like, it's, like yeah. those are almost direct lines from the from the book. He he starts the first section is actually about kind of like five key questions for how to be an effective altruist. Mm-hmm. So the um, goal after reading this is to be a better altruist. Right. Yeah. So to be, to actually care for others is the way I, when I went into this book, I'm like, this sounds great. Cause yeah. I, I think that's important. Um, but then when I started it, well, I'll just read you the, the five key questions of an effective altruist, how many people benefit and by how much, so out of your actions, like who's benefiting mm-hmm. from that action and by how much. And there's a, this is, there's a quali, it's Q-A-L-Y, quality adjusted life year. So that you can actually calculate wow. the impact of an action on how much of someone's life you have improved. And that's a measure that they can record like that's and, the claim that okay. like there's certain actions are worth this many qualies wow. and so it it compares different specific actions and different charities and what how many lives you do, do you think that's a little save. subjective at some level potentially or is it well it's out of it's trying not to be subjective it's or trying is to make this it objective. like world vision gives 50 cents of every dollar to the field and the rest is like overhead but compassion canada that's gives 52 it. cents that's or, part of it for sure okay um there's a whole section about that like well I'll, I'll read the rest of the questions and you'll probably see where that fits in but the first is just like how many lives are being affected and by how much okay. from your action is this the most effective thing you can do so is there better things you could do than what you're doing is this area neglected there's another one and what would have happened otherwise? So if you didn't give your $50 yeah, there, sure. would anything change? And what are the chances of success and how good would that success be? So, yeah. And then there's, there's lots of case studies throughout this. I'll, I'll maybe, like there's one related to question four, what would have happened otherwise? Mm-hmm. So, have you guys heard of like the scared straight program? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's supposed to like scare, it's a, like a crime 
They take like right. criminal youth. Like they kind of take I them to jails to tell them what could happen. At so risk youth. At risk And youth. show like, this is what prison looks like. Yeah. Keep making these decision youth. kids and this is what'll happen. Right. right. But there is a study that said after going through scared straight, juveniles were more likely to commit crimes than they would have been otherwise. So the program did harm overall. Okay. Right. So like that's an extreme case where people probably donated money to this program, right. supported it. But if they had done. It wasn't effective. It was not effective. But it, right. So does it sort of pick apart certain organizations in there then? Like, yes, yeah, specific ones too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd have to flip through to, to name them, but he, he talks about specific, like kind of the best charities to support. Okay. Based on qualities mm-hmm. and these, the answers to these five questions. So some of the, like, maybe I'll go to the big takeaways, I guess, for me mm-hmm. was... Um, well, here's, here's another sort of case study or thing that stood out to me. I think it's here. Some activities such as voting, entering politics, campaigning for systemic change, or mitigating risks of global catastrophe are effective, not because they're likely to make a difference, but because their impact is so great if they do make a difference. Right. So it's... What? Okay, wait. Can you read that again? So voting... Entering yeah. politics, campaigning for systemic change, or mitigating risks of global catastrophe are effective not because they're likely to make a difference, right. but because the their impact is so great if they do make a difference. <laughs> okay. So it's like it's like making a space laser to shoot. Asteroids. Right. Like if this works, it'll really work. Yeah. Right. Or right. right. Yeah. So like if this is successful, that success would be very very good. Right, like that. Yeah, that, that yeah. fifth question. What are the chances of this? It's like winning the lottery. Like you're probably not going to win, but if you do, you mm-hmm. will be rich. Yeah. So, Tyler, did you, after reading this book, have you shifted your approach? Are you inspired to change? Or that's I, it. I noticed that quality chart when we came in. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing some research right now, deep dive into who I should support. And um, I, it was I when I started reading it, I almost threw it aside because I didn't like how it took the heart out of it or it felt like it was taking the heart out of it Mm -hmm. because it would, there's some case studies where we talk about someone who had a loved, loved one die from cancer. So then they put all their altruistic efforts into cancer research and Mm -hmm. cancer programs and, and things like that. But then this book would say, but that's not near as effective as, supporting this organization that buys that provides mosquito netting to prevent malaria because mm-hmm. right. the quality score is much higher that'll right? affect more right right it actually saves more lives um mm-hmm. and it, so i i didn't like that because i i don't know it it felt like it was shaming people for supporting charities that they were passionate about and i thought well, good for them for being passionate about something. Yeah. But then I, I didn't give up on the book. I kept reading and it has made me think about the whole idea of charity. And you kind of touched on it, Chris, with, I don't know which organization you mentioned, but there are these big organizations that we've heard of, um, like how effective are they Yeah. and how much overhead do they have? And, sure. um, are we, are we just funding office people to, run right. an engine yeah right like it's that it's per, sometimes there's something that catches your eye like and it can be 
clever marketing or it could be a celebrity promoting it or it could be all kinds of things. But I think if we do a bit of work like this book is suggesting, this book is suggesting do a lot of work actually, like put a lot of effort and research into where your, your dollars Mm -hmm. are going. And there's actually a whole section that I didn't even mention. It's kind of like a third of the book about your life choices. Like your career is actually part of this too. Like the career Mm -hmm. you go into is, can be, play a role in this to me that makes a lot of sense Um, but this is it sounds like the heartless giver like when we connect our passions to what we give to i don't know like a cheerful giver to me is better than a practical giver i don't know why why i think that though but uh, when people are passionate about something they're more likely to to cause change or impact something but i get the argument that you might be throwing good money after bad. I totally see that. But also, right. may, maybe just just the certain a certain kind of person would like to, to view it this way, right? Like there's yeah. some people that won't give, to, they wouldn't give to anything without that passion, right? And so they do because they have it. But for another kind of person, maybe they want to be more analytical, and that's fine. Yeah. I just kind of right. thought like if everyone had this point of view, there'd be a lot of places that wouldn't get any any help. And that would well, Sarah McLaughlin's pet videos on TV where you hear that sad yeah. song and see the or Comey. Do you remember Comey? Yeah. Comey or Coney? Was it? Oh, Coney. <laughs> yeah. Comey. Yeah. <laughs> so Tyler, should we read it? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think yes. at least an academic, an academic skimming. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's one, it's not mm-hmm. a, like there's, it's really well organized and there's graphs and there's charts and there's nice. good headings and sections. So, um, I think it's interesting and I'm trying to think about who would benefit most from reading it. And like, if, if I put myself in the shoes of William McCaskill, if he actually, if he wrote this, hoping to make the world a better place by impacting people to give their dollars and yeah, basically dollars, um, more effectively, who would he want to read it? And I think it would be people who are already altruistic, right? Mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. giving to charity or thinking that way. Yeah. And then he's just shifting kind of, yeah, it's, I mean, it's in the title, do it better, yeah. like be more effective. I don't think this is going to convince someone to start giving to charity who's right. not already right. or not already inclined that way. Um, it might though, in ta- hearing you guys talk a little bit there, the skeptic who doesn't give because there's like distrust they think in there's these organizations. Or whatever. Yeah. Like, this book does actually lay out good ways to, yeah. to use that, that money and, um, in a kind of systematic <laughs> numerical way. Like you can yeah. save 12, what's equivalent to 12 lives by giving this many dollars to <laughs> yeah. this organization wow. over this amount of time. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Do you want awesome. me to, I'm going to, you guys, I was going to ask you some questions, but you kind of answered them already. I have a, maybe a couple quotes I'll just end on. If you think, okay. if do you think I have time? Oh yeah. Do I have the time? Yeah, for sure. Here's the quote. Giving to charity is not nearly as glamorous as kicking down the door of a bil- burning building, but the benefits are just as great. Through the simple act of donating to the most effective charities, we have the power to save dozens of lives. That's pretty amazing. So I guess that for the people who are reluctant to even just give to charity, it puts an actual number on lives that you are saving and for me, I think that was sometimes I think charity, it's like you devalue it almost like it's not as glad, like it says it in the quote, the word glamorous. You think 
you want to be that hero who pulls someone out of a burning building or out of a car accident or, but giving, saving two people from malaria in a country where they don't have the treatment for it. Mm. I've seen is still saving lives. Mm -hmm. That's right. With kids, like when you try to teach them about giving or if you've done a fundraiser and you talk about like, where should we donate the money? And you ask, you know, kids will be passionate about something. I think everybody is like that. Like the SPCA every time it is. And I, that bugged me before, but it's like, well, that's what you care about right now. And if we don't have people who are passionate for different things, then those things fail. If we're all only caring about the food bank or like, it's good that some people want to support the hospice or the food bank or the MS society. Do you feel a little like skeptical of this guy's, only the because I'm, I'm less analytical than I am. Like a, my heart leads me to make choices, right? Like mm-hmm. my uncle had MS. I'm more likely to support the MS society. My grandma had glaucoma or whatever. Like I'll be more likely because of a personal story. Like you, that example you gave yeah. tied to, to that. If I think mm-hmm. about like irrigating the desert in Northern Africa, I might not have a, like I get how that's important and that could do a lot of good, but I might be less likely to give to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm the other way. I think. Yeah, this book is for Chris. I think more yeah. than you. No, I I disagree. No. I don't think it can convince me. I, no, I think I think it's it, for me. I think it's for Graham. But I think it's a yeah. I guess in different ways. I like the analytical side of it. I'd I'd rather a chart tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like you know like, I don't need to be told to be altruistic, and not that you do either. But I'm gonna well, my passion is gonna be like. Maybe it's less effective, but those people still need help. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Maybe right. it is for me. No, I think it's I think it's for you in the in the sense that it could show you because there are some like compelling I'm case studies. A lot of money, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like you yeah. could be saving way more lives, <laughs> right? And and then, but then, yeah, for for Graham in a different way, like the it because it presents it in a the way that I think you think about these things. Yeah, it 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 definitely. But, yeah, I don't I don't. I'm not. I'm not with you on that one, Chris. So we should. We should have a book club. Figure this out. Thanks, Ty. Hey, I love know. this book report thing. So far, can so I good. That? Yeah. Okay. I'll well, take it's it. My brother-in-law's, but I can read it after. He lives far away, so you can borrow it. I want it first. Sure. Coming up next, opioids. Okay. So I was reading the Globe and Mail a few weeks ago and came across an article um, called The Elephant in the Room. Right? Okay. Uh-huh. You guys have heard that uh-huh. term before? Anyway, yeah. um, it's about opioids. Um, it's a doctor called Vincent Lamb who's got a book coming out actually pretty soon that I might want to read because of the article. Um, I'll just read the opening to it, why he calls it The Elephant in the Room, and then I can just tell you a little bit about the article. It's quite a long opinion piece, um, and I won't go into all the details, but it focuses on opioids, uh, where they came from, how they're used now, how we treat abuse now and he talks about like how we can deal with the very large drug problem that we have in the united states and canada it's pretty unique to north americans uh, countries in terms of our wealth as countries we do a pretty terrible job dealing with it mm. so he compares us to like australia and the deaths per i don't remember the actual stats but in terms of uh, de- overdose deaths we're doing way worse um, and so are the united states mm. and he talks about why um, but he, talk, he he starts off by saying there's a parable in which a group of blind people encounter an elephant for the first time. Maybe you've heard this before. 
They each mm. touch it and share their impressions. One person holding the trunk declares that it's like a snake. Another who feels the ear disagrees, saying an elephant is like a fan. Grasping the elephant's leg, a third person says the elephant resembles tree, a tree. And so he sort of likens that to opioid addiction, the field of opioid addiction being kind of like that. Like depending on what angle you look at it, there's all kinds of different opinions. Um, and he's been studying it for a long time, this guy. And um, obviously, so we had talked about the show Dope Sick, I think recently, maybe on the podcast. Chris recommended it a long time ago. Yeah, and we're watching it now. Yeah. And, and you guys are finally starting to take up my recommendations. Hey, I watched, I I watched that one almost oh. right away. Sweet. I know, oh, I didn't I'm catching it. up. It's, it's awesome. It's hard to watch. Yeah. Um, about uh, Purdue and OxyContin. And he, he actually does begin the article talking about that. Um, talks about how when he was a medical student in the 90s, he was taught to use OxyContin. Mm. Like that was the movement hitting at the time. Mm-hmm. So he used that to treat um, pain, all kinds of pain. You know, he talks about using it for like a twisted ankle. You know, this like, right. this really... Like pain that you're so going to get over naturally. This The author of this piece isn't was a doctor he was now now he's in toronto and he is the addictions addictions medicine physician okay um at a so still a doctor so he's a do- addictions doctor medical but, he, physician. but he's an addiction specialist basically okay. at this point anyway if, if, if the listeners don't know like like the the story of oxycontin sorry yeah um basically just it was a drug that flooded the market in the 90s and it was extremely addictive as an opiate and they encouraged doctors to use it for all kinds of pain, and it just kind of exploded uh, on the streets. And the uniqueness of it at, mm. at the time was that it wasn't addictive. That's how it was marketed. Like it, it's it. ve- yeah. the claim. Yes. Right. Even like the way it was marketed to doctors. Yeah. So like doctors would prescribe it. Super yeah. effective and not addictive. And less than 1% get addicted was what they said. And of course, it turns out that it, that is not true. And a lot of the scandal was the, the labels were dubious and the fda anyway it was a, it's a crazy story if you haven't seen dope sick mm. or the crime of the century um but anyway then the article gets into a treatment of it and the stigma of drugs um and you guys have probably heard over the years about fentanyl and that's always made me kind of curious as to like is that yeah. an extension of oxycontin right is that yeah. and it is it's an opiate as well um and obviously it's not it's controlled much more heavily than it used to be but the article talks about just how opiate abuse can just destroy lives, and you guys have seen the movies, and maybe you know people that yeah. experience it. We had a a neighbor tell us a story where their their middle aged husband had a back injury at work, and was prescribed mm. opiates to handle it at first in the hospital, and got addicted, and basically they had to leave him, like it broke their family mm. up. The addiction just took him over. Yeah, it, it's devastating. And um, anyway, sometimes you hear about it in the news and politicians argue about like how to treat it. And I just like this guy's perspective. I mean, really what it comes down to, I mean, his, his recommendations for treating and dealing with this stuff is very much like strengthening all of our public health systems, really, at the end of the day is what it comes down to, is, right? When you say treating it, are you yeah. talking about treating the, treating the addiction? Yeah, that's his sort of expertise. Okay. Um, and there's a, so I don't know if you guys have heard of the various ways that you deal with it, but the, there's three that I can sort of talk about sure. that I thought were interesting. And there are they're up for debate too, right? So one of them is OAT. It's called opioid agonist therapies, and that's when they use things like um, methadone. Okay, right. right. Yeah. And so that's just a um, it's over, like a replacement right. painkiller. That painkiller. It's like, a slower really. It's a it's a duller but longer lasting. And some people do, are on that forever. So it's like, addictive as well, it but is. it's less serious. Yeah, and it's, or, it's yeah, it's less. It's got less um, of a intense. hold on you, kind of. Yeah, 
and because the you know the chemistry of opioids is that it it does alter your brain chemistry, and so it is. That's why it is so addictive. And so that's and that's he said that's actually basically the only kind of proven method at this point. Wow. Like there's other methods, okay. but that's kind of the best they have. And that was based on a study from 2021, like a meta analysis. And they said that um, the chance of dying from any cause was halved during times when a person with an opiate addiction was receiving one of these treatments. So basically, if you're on methadone or um, buprenorphine, I can't pronounce that, buprenorphine. Anyway, it's similar to methadone, it sounds like. But that, but even that, there's some controversy with that, right? You're, you're treating opioid abuse with an opioid, right? right? And there's still some debate in the public about like should we be doing that like providing that be those funded, drugs yeah. exactly right so you're funding drug addicts with and then this also does go into safe injection sites he talks about that um, those are less proven in his opinion and th- so there's the other there's another one that's called injectable opioid agonist therapy IOAT and that's basically like using like heroin, heroin like using as, stuff as a replacement as a treatment as a treatment yeah Oof. so what's his his opinion it's an opinion piece. What is, it sounds informative so far, but like what, yeah. does he have a, an opinion on this? I think, I think with the whole elephant analogy thing, like he's just talking about how, and, and we, this is what we talked with, with Father Christino, like there's just so many angles to look at this issue at, like so many opinions, like he just, he talks about nuanced <laughs> discussions that should be happening that aren't happening. Is the like, elephant like some people are looking at it from a position of homelessness and some people yeah. from like family breakup and some from like crime yeah. or what's the, how does the elephant metaphor play out? Yeah. Um, so he, he, t- well, he talks about stigma for a little, little bit as like for one thing. So it's like number one, there's not a lot of empathy from a lot of people, yeah. for people who are addicted. And so yeah. their, their perspective is like, don't give them drugs. Like that's why, why are you giving drug addicts drugs? And it seems like that's like the least empathetic view you can have and like not really understanding the severity of addiction. And like yeah. people were prescribed this stuff from their doctors for a long time. That's right. So it's not their fault. And your brain can't just say, I don't want it no. anymore. And that's a pretty common with any kind of addiction. I think it's easy to be judgmental, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is not helpful, but it also can frame like policy that when politicians are budgeting money, right? They don't. Yeah, so that, yeah, so that's how they view it. They view it as like, well, you're an addict. Like, I'm not going to give you drugs, right? Um, and he's he, yeah. So this guy's a little more like obviously more analytical and scientific than that. So the the IOAT one, yeah, that was like injection, and that's actually like providing people with drugs. So right. that's actually like healthcare. That's heroin bought by the government. Yep. To give to people, right? But that's not safe injection sites. Like people right. kind of confuse those sometimes. Safe okay. injection sites. They bring their own. They're just there to monitor, revive if you overdose, that kind of stuff. You guys, that's... Yeah. So, time for a story? Sure. In downtown Red Deer, a friend of mine has a business, and he had a package from the city of Red Deer. Like, it was from their... Whoever, I forget the actual ticket on the box, Mm -hmm. but it was two doses of heroin dropped off for this person to use and it, whether it got mixed up or accidentally sent to his business. Oh, wow. It was provided by health or the city okay and he had asked like he literally he's like what do i do with this i've got two doses of heroin here in my hand so that's in red deer but you can see yeah so you can see the struggle right where it's like the only methods that we know to help treat these people involve more drugs i'm just surprised that it was like delivered and not like (laughs) you're not coming to use it yeah but we're we're giving it to you and oops we gave it to the wrong person like it's a controlled substance but 
how control the, <laughs> like the the lack of control lack in of this control. case. Yeah. I won't go into too much more details with these different things, but there, there's more with these sites, and he, and he just says like we just don't have all the information yet. Sure, like there aren't enough studies that okay. show us the best way forward. Like some of yeah. these places work because some he's of those have been open for quite some time. Yeah. yeah, and he and he does say a lot of times they do work yeah. for sure, but he's just like it's, it's it's you can't just say this is the solution because we don't really totally know yet. Mm-hmm. But that's almost a stopgap too, isn't it? Yeah. Like until we have a way to treat people, yeah. we don't want them dying in the gutter. So come safely use it. Yeah, yeah, but but there are people who. Yeah, fundamentally don't agree with that. Oh, I get that. And, and I get yeah. it too. Um, he does talk about that. So then he does go into, let's see, I can. He, do, he mentioned the elephant parable again here. In the parable of the elephant, the blind people, each grasping, say the others are wrong, even accuse one other of being deceptive. The field of addictions treatment is notable for such conflicts. So there's like, there's different names, opioid crisis, opioid overdose, epidemic, fentanyl crisis, overdose crisis, poisoning crisis, toxic drug supply crisis. Like there's always a new name for mm, it. Right. Um, and not even all the experts agree because it is, Figuring this, I mean, you think about the explosion of opioids into our communities. It's not; it's new. It's, it's all a, reactionary. It's, it's a at new this phenomenon. Point. That's right. Right. We got people, ambulance uh, paramedics driving around Vancouver, reviving people every That's their single job. night no to save people's Gosh, lives. Yeah. You know, like that is a system in crisis that we're. So I don't blame anybody for their own ideas how to deal with it, but and neither does this guy. Um, and then he gets to okay, what do we do? Right, like he's an expert; he studies this stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you do? And I won't go over everything, but and a lot of it's just like. It'd be really cool if we could get there, and maybe we will one day. Um, one of them is a lot of it's publicly funded stuff, really. There's no surprise there. But a lot of it is like for child, like he talks about the link between childhood experiences and substance abuse being like one of the clearest connections you can see in the data. Hmm. Um, and that being like trauma or what? Yeah. So he actually lists uh, trauma for sure. There is, yeah, I can't quite find where he goes into the details of that, but you know, he just, he just talks about things like, you know, Paid parental leave, community supports for parents, accessible pre-kindergarten childcare. There's those basic things that like do help if they're all working together, right? Um, and then he obviously talks about like, oh, the first yeah, the first thing he mentioned is is high quality outpatient and inpatient addictions healthcare. And he said that there's a lot of places that don't have any really at all. Mm-hmm. Like no one really knows. Like a lot of the doctors don't really know. It's it's the exception rather than the norm that medic- medicine definitely fixes things. Some broken bones, some infections, yet the narratives around addiction responses, intervention, getting clean, and even the terminology rehabilitation suggest time-limited definitive solutions. For most cases, whether it's a heart disease, diabetes, or cancer, treatment is about changing trajectory and improving quality of life over a time horizon. And the same is true of addictions. So that's just like a mentality of like, you go to rehab and fix yourself, or you are fixed. But he sees, like he basically works with people for years and years and years. And he's like, some of them, like they'll be on methadone forever. They'll never come off this. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just found it super fascinating. I know I'm maybe rambling a bit. There's a lot here. Did you um, come out of this article feeling hopeful or hopeless? Maybe neither. Maybe informed. I just, we talk about our podcast and he ends with, for each of us, the elephant in the room is how can I listen? What can I try to do to understand? And what can I do? Like, I just think like, and shows like Dopes like do that. Like they just inform your worldview and give you context because oftentimes yeah. there's no context for this stuff. Like unless you're affected one to one by by something, it's just easy to look at something in yeah. any kind of addiction. And I, I do I know we talked about doing an addictions episode one day, but so I, yeah, not hopeless. No, that's not how I felt. Uh, there's people doing this good work, but it also feels like we're in a mess, and it's really hard to yeah. fix the mess. And we need to almost identify what the elephant 
actually is like what the problem actually yeah. is like it's yeah. like i think most people would say yeah the opiate or whatever you call it yeah with all those different names mm-hmm. people identify that there is a problem but defining the problem is yeah. is what, crisis too big a word for it like is it a point where it's a crisis um after reading this article do you think I, it, it feels like it like yeah. it feels like something well tell you had a you mentioned earlier something well even well yeah i have a i heard a little story Krista was telling me about a community, like a Northern community that is struggling with opiate addictions as like just uh, within their community. And they've been calling out for supports from out- outsiders, like from the government to help like they, and they don't really know what they just know they need help. So yeah. in my mind, that is a crisis. If yeah. you have a community that doesn't know how to deal with something right. on its own, um, well, and they're calling and they're out calling to a government who doesn't know how to deal with it. And but it, in this community, there was recently murders. Like two two people were murdered, and and this is just I've, I was talking to Krista and she yeah. read an article, and I think some of it's speculative, but that the the murdered individuals were dealers of the drugs. So the community, the speculation is that this community is taking it into their own hands, mm-hmm. like they're. So they they believe they're doing what's best for their community by murdering people in their community, mm-hmm. which to me sounds like a crisis. Like if, if yeah. and that's just yeah. one. And whether that's act, like factual or it's just a scenario that is believable because yeah. of what's going on, I think it points to a crisis. Yeah. Well, and, you watched that show. I mean, that was nineties or two thousands, but it sure looks bad in certain oh. communities. A couple yeah. of things to. To kind of finish up here, like I, I was kind of a few of these stats. I was like, I gotta look this up. Like I didn't, I wasn't sure. What do you guys think of this? It says um, one in five adult Canadians don't have a family doctor. I can believe that, but then it says this: when by the age of forty, one in two Canadians has had a mental illness. One in two. One in two by the age of forty. Like ah. diagnosed or probably not. It doesn't say diagnosed. And having that a mental illness me. doubles the chance of a substance use disorder. So he's saying half of people by 40 have had some sort of mental illness and having a mental illness doubles your, your risk of a chance of having substance abuse. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's just, a crisis. Right. Yeah. Especially with the availability of this stuff. And then you get into lacing fentanyl and other, it gets, gets messier and grosser. And okay. One more thing just as Canadians here, you guys, Australia is historically and culturally similar to Canada. He says, has integrated publicly funded pain management programs in response to a lot of the same things that are happening. But they, much like the gun issues in the 90s, they responded to pretty strongly as well. Um, and it says here, I'll just finish with this. It says, in 2021, Australia's um, age-adjusted rate of all drug-induced deaths was 6.6 per 100,000. In Canada, it's 22 per 100,000. Wow. So that's a big difference. Um, and we're not the same country, but, I mean, that's a pretty staggering uh, difference. Mm. So and the states are are, are bad too. Mm-hmm. So good news and so maybe there's a path forward. It seems like there have been countries that have done things that we could maybe take a page from that book. Yeah. So yeah, this guy. Um, you know, I I'm definitely gonna look be on lookout for his book. It's uh, called On the Ravine. Actually, might be out by now. Yeah, came out at the end of the last month. So here you go, guys. Cool, Vincent Lamb. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah, Chris, are you gonna? Sounds like hard work. Bring something a little uh, more lighthearted. Uh, good chance, no. 
I mean, at least it's in comic book form. Yeah. Talk about ducks? Talk about ducks. Well, I'd like to talk about a book too. And it's, uh, as Graham pointed out, a bit of a picture book for adults, also called a graphic novel by the wonderful and talented artist, Kate Beaton. She's a Canadian. She comes from Cape Breton. And this is an autobiographical book called Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands. And the story is about Kate, a young girl who graduates from college with a degree in graphic design or something like that, or maybe hospitality and tourism, whatever it was, she comes out with student debt. Mm -hmm. So she talks to her mom and a lot of people in her community and from her province are moving west to work in the oil sands the book takes place in the early 2000s and the promise of kind of a better future by making lots of money being able to pay off her debt so her family doesn't really want her to go and she doesn't really want to she's kind of hesitant but she sees it as a means to an end so she moves um to fort mcmurray and she starts to get different jobs in the oil sands mostly as a I asked my son what this job was called. Now I forget it again, but she worked kind of in an office where people will come to borrow equipment for jobs. So she'll like lend out vests and tools and Hmm. catalog things. So it's kind of an office job she has. So she has the experience uh, throughout the book of working over a two year period, working in uh, camps, working in living in town and driving to a site, um, living on site. And so, and just her, her style and her story, her voice is really unique as a woman in the oil sands. It's unique because it's probably like 99% men. Mm -hmm. And then what life is kind of like in the camps, um, lots of guys who are lonely and away from their families. So she's the target of a lot of misogynistic kind of remarks and sexual Mm -hmm. advances and that kind of thing. Um, being treated different because she's a woman in terms of her pay, um, what life is like when you're isolated, what life is like. Um, yeah. And then there's some, like there's some work that talks a little bit about the environmental impact of the oil sands. It isn't like a hard slam of the oil sands. I didn't find. In fact, there's a lot of tenderness about the people she works with. And it starts, each section starts with an illustration of the different people that she works with on a site. So it shows like a close up of their cartoon face and where they're from. And just, she, she has a really mm-hmm. unique style, but um, lots of neat, lots of humor, lots of good things happen too, but her growth kind of throughout that time and sort of what you give up when you're pursuing a dream or what, you know, is it worth it to, mm-hmm. to follow something and, yeah. and what do you, what, what's the cost of that? Cause you've lived in Alberta for your whole life. Yeah. When you were reading this, were you learning things that you didn't know about how like Fort McMurray worked, the oil sands? Um, like, were you surprised by anything that you read? I think because I have enough friends who are in that business. My son is a pipeliner, so he's living in Kamloops right now. So there'd be similarities to what he's doing. And I've heard a lot of the stories of both the promise of like the riches that can be had, but then what what's you know, what happens when you're living by yourself? What happens when you're only living with guys? What happens when you're all from somewhere else and living kind of disjointed and away from your original community, what that can do in terms of the decisions you make. And so, yeah, those weren't really surprises to me. And I think that's probably why I picked it out. So at chapters, it's quite an expensive book as a hardcover. And I had a gift card and thought, Oh, I'm just, 
Mm-hmm. This kind of is connecting to where my own kids are at right now. I should give it a try. Mm-hmm. So it was certainly I wasn't like, let's slam the oil sands because I think the money that the oil sands generate does a lot for people in our community. A lot of people depend on it for their livelihood. But what's the cost to that? And what mm-hmm. kind of what's the yeah. repercussions? I don't know if that's the right Do word. You, yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm wondering, I haven't read, Graham, you've read this book, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. And I, I'm wondering if it's more of a critique of like, or a, yeah, critique of the oil sands or laying out here is the, are the costs or if it's like acknowledging that everyone knows these costs already. So we're, the book is humanizing, hmm. humanizing it. That's so, a great. So like, who is it question for, or is it both? Is it, it sounds harmonious to me, but in my yeah. head, it's like, why would you write a book about the oil sands without critiquing it? It's just like but, a memoir almost. Like it's just her story. Yeah. And and bits and pieces are talked about, but it's still just about her experiences. I've read two articles from people in Eastern media. One was from, I think, New York and the other from Toronto. That was kind of like they were using it, the book to bash the oil sands. Okay. I didn't think that was the author's intent. I don't know, Graham, if you got that. It was like an honest look. Like Mm -hmm. these are things that I went through. Some of the things were not good. Some of the things were bad. Um, Would someone who... You could use it as ammunition to say, why are we doing this? Like the environmental cost is probably the biggest one that people would pick up on. But then the personal cost or look how these pigs treat women or like... I could see that that's the storyline that people are attaching yeah. to to write about. I just, I think they missed the point. The environmental aspect was pretty minor, really. Yeah. So it's like called that. ducks. So there's a story of these ducks that get caught in a tailings pond, which is like this big slough that effluents kind of from the tar sands kind of collects in. And these ducks landed in it in their migration and died. I think there was, I don't know, a couple hundred or something like that. But ducks is also the term that Easterners are given like I don't know if it's just a term for for women but they're often calling her like hey duck we'll see you mm-hmm. next week or hey ducky are you so mm-hmm. it was a really you know clever, clever what's what's the cost the way you to ducks you described it earlier talking about like because it sounds like it's what good storytelling I yeah and I think so. it's yeah, a I memoir think. and you described beginning of chapter showing like different people she worked with yeah so and some she I has can, a lot of fondness for mm-hmm. right so could someone who is from Alberta or worked in the oil sands use this book as like a counter ammunition? Like, mm, I, don't, I don't think so. No. no. In it's, fact, still, it's still more of a, it'll be used by... The average person who picked it up if they worked in the oil sands would be offended if they didn't give it a deep read, is my thought. They'd be like, oh, we're not all like that. We're not no, all pigs. But, but we're if not they worked all. there, they would know that people behave like that sometimes. that's like that's what i think you couldn't avoid surprise, that right it would be like yeah this is pretty accurate and right. i don't i've never worked there no, so i can't but, say but when you're reading it and you hear stories from friends and you yeah. if you've taught kids who have worked up there you you hear stories that you know what's there to do on a cold winter night yeah, after yeah. you get off your shift so it's you not drinking in your echo trailer no i don't i, don't I didn't know. think okay. so well maybe for herself a bit but it's really a memoir. Like you said, it's a memoir. I think yeah. even the, it's kind of meta because as she's, you know, trying to make money, she realizes she's good at cartooning mm-hmm. the character in the book. So she starts showing friends cartoons and it leads mm-hmm. to a yeah. book deal 
you know, which is really cool, which is cool that that's happening kind of as she goes. And this wasn't where she wanted to be necessarily, but she meets people from home and she can see like this guy's really trying and I should try going on a date with that guy. And what kind of community can I build here? Hmm. Um, But it's really hard. And I wish I was home working and I wish there was still work back home that yeah. could pay my debts and I didn't have to be here. And I found the inter- one interesting part of the book, a bit of a spoiler, but she leaves mm-hmm. to Victoria, I think, yeah. and works at a bookstore or something. Yeah, or, yeah a library. And then she goes back for yeah. another year. Like, you know, even though she maybe doesn't love everything about it, yeah. there's something that brings her back. I mean, the money helps. Yeah. But she goes back and, yeah, I, I think in terms of a piece of, I love that you brought this up, Chris, because I think it's a, actually a pretty wonderful book. Like, it, it, it really hits at a sweet spot where it's not preachy and it's not no, judgy or so. it's not making a political statement. You could like, read it that way. You could, and which sucks that people would hold it, it up like that. Yeah, but and I mean, you really, miss the point, she, I She's think. just telling a story. Yeah. A pretty, an important story, relevant story. Um, yeah, I, I, I do, like my son, Fisher, who's working in Kamloops on the pipeline, I wanted, I would like him to read this and... I'd like to know his take on it. Sure, like, yeah. is is he going to go? Yeah, that's what it's like. Or there's some. Good oh, I can't that, believe she's yeah. you know saying we're like this. Yeah. Or I think the one thing that I that struck me was like I I kind of hope that the institutions, the systems that sort of maybe allowed some of that, you know, like verbal abuse. Like yeah. They, like they hopefully that they're better with that nowadays. I would think like you this is like mean? twenty years later right, that, right. that there's probably been gains. She actually has an opportunity in the story to talk to as she's quitting and telling that she's going back home. She speaks to one of the HR guys and it's like, why didn't you come forward with this mm-hmm. before? And she's like on her exit interview kind of, and she's like, you know why I didn't? There's yeah. no way I could have. That's that classic thing. It's like, so should have told someone like what, what? Yeah, yeah. And I did, and nobody cared. Yeah, and. I just, th- I also think like that line of work to me is exciting. Like the, if you want to call it like a mission field, but what's the non-churchy word for that? Like the opportunity to connect with young men right. and to support them. Hmm. What, what kind of work is there in that field? Cause that mm-hmm. would be yeah really meaningful work. Yeah. And I think altruistically hmm. something that we should all pursue. No, just kidding. I like that. Look at that. <laughs> Putting a bow on it like only you can. But even the things yeah. like the, when you're talking about opioid addiction, like mm-hmm. I know the addiction levels of these lonely people who are yeah. like all those problems are prevalent, amplified in these communities, I'm sure. So check out Ducks. Ducks, right on. Well, I enjoyed hearing from uh, you guys tonight on yeah, uh, cool. doing good better and Ducks. And the opioid. And, What's yeah. the article actually called? Um, the Elephant in the Room. Right. If you uh, Google Globe and Mail, open in the room, it'll come up. Um, hey, guys, we have talked about another idea for maybe in a future episode where we do like a, a book study, mm-hmm. where we yeah. tell you, the listeners, what book we're going to read. You can read along with us, and then we'll discuss that book. Um, I don't think we have one ready today. Or maybe we should pause and talk about it. What do you think? No. Okay, so we paused and we talked about it. And in four weeks after this episode comes out, we're tentatively planning on doing an episode about a book mm-hmm. that was actually previously recommended by a guest. Tyler, what are we going to read? Well, the the book that Cody recommended that we'd like to read is uh, is called The Wisdom of Your Body, Finding Healing, Wholeness, and Connection Through Embodied Living by Hilary McBride. Yes. Amazing. This is the first Harmonious Gentleman Book Club selection. 
Yeah. That means we all have to read it, and we're going to have an unfiltered yeah. discussion. <laughs> I think our intent is to do it every 91 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good call. So, listeners, but, if you want to join us on this journey, grab mm-hmm. the book, read it, and in about a month or so, you'll, uh, you can listen to our discussion. You can email us yeah. uh, your feedback, too. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll read maybe. A, I'm just on Hillary McBride's website. Should I read just uh, a couple things yeah. I'm finding here? Just Let's maybe it. it'll, um, I guess, uh, cue up some interest in some listeners. Maybe they want to look this book up themselves. Okay. It's uh, one heading I see says, Many of us have a complicated relationship with, a bo- with our body. Oh, um, howdy do we ever. So I see words like uh, stress, pain, effects of trauma. Hmm. Maybe you think of your body as an accessory to what you believe you really are. Um, kind of skimming through. I see here, I'll read this. This is the, I think, the best piece. When we are struggling in life, feeling stuck, hurt, confused, or alone, we all deserve a place to talk with someone who we know will not judge or shame us, but instead will walk alongside us and help us create change, finding our hope and strength. In the late 90s, John Mayer convinced me my body was a wonderland, so I wonder how that'll line up. (laughs) (laughs) You thought he was singing just directly to you. You watched that live. Hey, he was singing to somebody. (laughs) I'm going to own it. (laughs) Um. Well, that's Chris's confession, but let's get to ours. <laughs> so, guys, coming up on March 30th, we had another gig, all right? Nice. And since I have this platform, Snake Lake, yep. March 30th, 7 till 9, 10 bucks. Uh, it's earlier show than usual. Check it out if you can. Cool. Very okay. cool. Okay. My confession has to do with the band. Uh, we did a, a show recently. Chris, you were there at the Velvet Olive. It was great. It was really fun. We covered uh, Eye of the Tiger yeah. at the end of the night. And I think it's kind of a cool uh, cover that Cody put together. It's kind of different. Uh, I sing harmonies in the chorus. My confession is that I never, I didn't learn the words. And so in the chorus, <laughs> there's one line, I've never known what it is. Mm-hmm. And I meant to learn it for the show. And as I, as I was the song was beginning, I realized, I almost looked at my phone because I, I was like, I don't know these words. Uh-oh. And so the words that I don't know. So I'm, I'm good with the opening parts of the chorus. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. I'm getting that okay. Yeah. Rising up to the challenge of our rival. That's right. But then I don't know the next part. Do you know it? And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night. There it is. Stalks his I prey. had no idea. Yeah, so if you noticed, that. I was just mumbling sounds in harmony. Definitely did not notice. And I did it in every practice. That's awesome. No one, I don't think it, well, maybe they noticed. They just Does Cody know? No? Or she, she now could, she knows? She could probably tell the whole time. I, I, I feel like I was getting away with it, but there's probably no way I was. <laughs> And then live, I just felt like an idiot because we we sing the chorus like three times, and every time I'm just like, <laughs> like you know. So I'm I'm learning it right now. Stalks his prey in the night. So anyway, I'm, I'll get it next time on March 30th. Okay, everyone's like, singing. That's the kind of song people sing along to, and nobody knew that line either. Right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so. but they were really leaning in to hear what you had to say. It was a 
a moment where it's just like if you're if you're looking at me, you can tell I'm just that's awesome. This thing. So, sorry, sorry, band. I'll, I'll, I that's now funny. I have it for the thirtieth. Yeah. I'd like to admit that I've completely given up in one area of my life and I don't see a way back. It's shoveling my driveway. Mm. If you were to drive by my house, the snow is on it. I completely quit. (laughs) And after the 55th shovel this year, this winter, it's March 19th, the night we're recording this. uh, There's still massive piles of snow in my yard. Our ice, the ice on our road is higher than my sidewalk and I have nowhere to put it. And I was just like, you know what? Let the sun do its work. I'm sick of this. Is your, do you have like the tracks? Is it like big ridges that you've driven on and packed it down? I mean, I've shoveled all winter, so I had a clean driveway. I've chipped the ice off a couple times when it got warm, like in February and whatever. And so now it's probably, I don't know, two inches thick of packed ice. Okay. What about the sidewalk? You don't do a sidewalk either? It's pretty much crap. Like it just looks awful. Hmm. People probably could slip and fall to their death. But so as a as a sidewalk runner, I'm <laughs> you'd have to go onto the road when you get yeah. to my house. Oh, uh, shoot. But also because the city, when they did their blading, which is the worst way a city could <laughs> handle any kind of snow removal, they piled snow in a windrow in front of my driveway like they did to everybody. And then they came and cleared those windrows, but they didn't clear my windrow. So I had a windrow of ice blocking my driveway, which I tried to shovel out, but good yeah. luck. So the ice on my road is like a foot higher than my sidewalk. It's a mess. I don't blame you for that one. But I quit. Like, I just gave up. I'm not doing it. Okay. Hopefully it warms up I'm soon. I'm not going to visit again until it's gone. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well. I'm uh, a bad neighbor. You can say it, Ty. I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, my confession is one from the past. As uh, It's from when I was a high school student. I had a substitute teacher and I think she was teaching English class probably. And I didn't feel like being there anymore. So I just left. (laughs) And then I think I went to the gym or something. And sometimes I could sneak into a gym class and just participate there and have more fun. (laughs) But then this teacher came and found me and told me to go back to class. Oh, so I wow. walked in my memory. My memory isn't that I ran away, but that I walked quickly ahead of this teacher, but then ducked in be, kind of behind down the hallway. There was a set of doors that one, one was always closed. So I quickly went through that doorway and hid oh. behind the other one so that when she came through the doorway, I'd be behind her and I could just come back the back other way, the go back to the gym. <laughs> but then she, turned around and saw me and then i did run and i just left the building So at this point that's out and out defiance it was defiant it was disrespectful she in my memory was running after me in the hallway and i just booked it out of there and that's was it's not the kind of behavior i would yeah i would discourage that behavior in my own students (laughs) would you tolerate it (laughs) did you get in big trouble or was that kind of the kind of it my memory is not great of the results of that, but yeah. I feel I do. It's a clear memory, and I, I know that probably didn't feel good for the the teacher yeah. that day. So this is yeah, an apology as well. Yeah, to I'm sorry, uh, Mrs. Krault, for um, defiance and. It's a tough gig, man. Substitute teacher. Yeah, and I I have students who behave in similar ways, and I try to hold them to account and. Mm. 
So I feel like I just need to get it off my chest that I yeah, once was a defiant student as well. <laughs> well, if you don't want to run, run away from your problems, you want to email the show. <laughs> nice. uh, how do no, you do that, excellent. Chris? Please send your emails to harmoniousgentleman at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also get a hold of us in other ways, right, Tyler? Yeah, on Instagram, uh, other social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook. We've uh, yet to receive a letter, like handwritten nope. in the mail, but... Do we want to give our our mailing address on the podcast? Uh, shoot, yeah, that's why we I, I haven't never one. <laughs> thought about this detail. Give us an email if you want to mail us something. We will email yeah, you back with a mailing address. Happy to. We've Nostalgia. mailed a shirt. We've mailed a shirt. We know how to mail things. We've received mm-hmm. stickers and notes from guests in yeah. the past. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks to all those listeners who stick it out to the end of an episode like this. You've heard us talk about yeah. this information many times. And this was a long episode. This is but this is a doozy. Yeah. yeah. But I really enjoyed it. It was really good. It was fun talking to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, you you listen to something good if you heard this and you know it. Yeah. So share it with a friend. And if the friend asks, what's the podcast called? All you have to say is the harmonious <laughs> gentleman <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Harmonious gentleman